Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about the pump room. Before we get into today's episode, we have a bit of exciting news. We finally have merch. Yay! <laughs> so you can find our podcast merch at www.redbubble.com slash people slash about Austin slash shop. You can also just type in the thing about Austin directly into the Redbubble search bar. And we will obviously have the link and everything in our show notes so that you can easily find it. There are some fun designs and they're all available. Well, we think they're fun designs. Hopefully you do as well. <laughs> And they're all available on a variety of products. So just click on the design to see all of the options. And this is something we've been wanting to offer. We've had people ask us in the past if we are, if we have merch or if we are planning to do merch. So we went with Redbubble because they handle all of the printing, shipping, et cetera, for us. Since running an actual shop is not something that we have the <laughs> bandwidth for. True. So with that being said, if you run into any issues or have any questions about your order, hopefully not. But, you know, sometimes things happen. You will want to contact Redbubble's customer service directly because uh, aside from sort of uploading the designs and, and doing that end of things, we aren't actually the ones like shipping the stuff to your door. Right. If yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah. But we would love to see all of the merch that you do purchase. So tag us yes. if, you, if you would. Yes, absolutely. Yay! <laughs> so now back to Northanger Abbey and the pump room. This is sort of like... I don't know. This is like, what, the third episode in our suite on bath. So yes. we've had mm -hmm. the baths and bath, the baths and bath. <laughs> we've had the assembly rooms. And now we get to the pump room. Yes. So there are numerous mentions of the pump room in Northanger Abbey. So it was hard to choose just one as our jumping off point. But this scene with Catherine is a good example of a person seeking out the pump room for the specific purpose of you know, just hoping to casually run into someone. Uh -huh. And it also sort of details some of the like benefits of the pump room. Like, why do people go to the pump room? <laughs> so at this point in the novel, Catherine has met Henry and Eleanor Tilney, as well as the Thorpes. So basically everyone is in town. Her brother's in town. The Thorpes are in town. The Tilneys are in town. Everyone's there. <laughs> but Catherine wishes to spend a little more time with Miss Tilney. So here is the text. The first wish of her heart was to improve her acquaintance with Miss Tilney, and almost her first resolution to seek her for that purpose in the pump room at noon. In the pump room, one so newly arrived in Bath must be met with, and that building she had already found so favorable for the discovery of female excellence and the completion of female intimacy, so admirably adapted for secret discourses and unlimited confidence, that she was most reasonably encouraged to expect another friend from within its walls. <laughs> like, this is where you go to meet your friends. Yeah, this is where you go to meet your friends, have a little gab. A secret discourses. I mm -hmm. like it, you know, find a little place to whisper. It's all good, you know? Why wouldn't you go to the pump room? It's a little BFF's clubhouse kind of situation. <laughs> That's definitely the way she envisions it. Absolutely. <laughs> The pump room, as it would have been in Austin's day, was a relatively new construction. 
built in the early 1790s and opened by the Duchess of York on the 28th of December, 1795. This new pump room was actually built on the same site as a previous pump room, which was built in 1706 at the behest of Beau Nash, the semi-official ruler of Bath for the majority of the 18th century. So Nash was the man largely responsible for bringing Bath into prominence, and particularly for all of the strict rules that governed Bath society. So when he wanted something built in that city, he usually made it happen. He had opinions. He, he did, you know, and people were listening. So according to John Haddon's book, which is succinctly titled Bath, quote, it was probably due to Nash that the corporation built the first pump room designed by John Harvey. So the pump room was built directly next to the king's baths and was meant as an elegant public space for fancy people to drink the mineral waters and listen to lovely music that Nash arranged for. You might have noticed that mention of the corporation in that earlier quote, which kind of sounds like some sort of sinister shadow company running things. <laughs> it really does. Just to clarify, the corporation was Bass' formal electorate, which was restricted to just 30 members. According to the 18th Century Political Participation and Electoral Culture Project, quote, the right to vote in Bath was restricted to members of the borough's corporation. This self-electing body of 30 men consisted of a mayor, nine aldermen, and 20 common councilmen. That means this group of 30 men made all the major decisions in Bath in the 18th century, including things like hiring an architect and funding the construction of the new pump room. The architect, Thomas Baldwin, was hired to design and rebuild the new pump room, and he started work in 1791. According to Haddon, quote, Baldwin's plans were very grand, but the optimistic show of squares and street and contemporary maps never materialized. He was fired in 1792 after being accused of mismanaging funds. The work was picked up in 1793 by Baldwin's rival, John Palmer, who made alterations to Baldwin's plans and finished the project in 1795. In the 1980s, there were some excavations in Bath that revealed some of the footings for a projecting portico that Baldwin had proposed and started building for the north elevation. But these were obviously covered up and forgotten once Palmer took over the project. So you gotta love the like layered architectural history of Bath that like in the 80s, they were just like, oh yeah. We're seeing that rivalry literally emerging from the dust. We like that. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we have some of the history of the building, let's take a little walk inside, as it were. As we previously mentioned, the pump room is located directly next to the King's Bath. It is also next to the Bath Abbey. According to Maggie Lane's book, Jane Austen's England, the heart of the city has always been the Abbey Churchyard, called the Pump Yard in Northanger Abbey. A spacious paved area where the sedan chairs and their blue-coated attendants waited for customers, the churchyard is pleasantly enclosed by the west front of the abbey on the east, the pump room with its inscription, Water is Best, in Greek on the south, the colonnade on the west, and a row of shops on the north, between two of which is the archway, which Catherine Moreland and Isabella Thorpe passed through to Cheap Street. Like, there's just so many different outlets off of this churchyard. It's just, it's very central, isn't it? 
So from that pump yard, we walk into the pump room. To describe the room, we will turn to one of our favorite types of resources for historic locations, uh, which is tour guides from the era. They always have the best names. They always have really great names. So um, our selection today is from the historic and local new bath guide, forming a complete pocket history of bath with a map. In parentheticals, with a map. <laughs> and that was published in 1802. And you know that I, I am a sucker for a good map. So it's like, you know, put mm-hmm. that in parentheses and I'm like, this is the one for me. I want the mm-hmm. map. Thank you very much. Maps, charts and tables, all of those things. <laughs> so, so this guide describes the pump room as follows. The new pump room is 60 feet long by 46 feet wide and 34 feet high. The inside is set round with three-quarter columns of the Corinthian order, crowned with an entablature above which rises a coving of five feet. In a recess at the west end is the music gallery, and in another at the east end, a timepiece given by the late Mr. Tompion, over which, in a niche, stands a marble statue of the late Mr. Nash, executed at the expense of the corporation. In the center of the south side is placed a marble vase, from whence issue the salutary waters, on each side of which is a fireplace. This gives us a lot of physical description, which is lovely, particularly if you really enjoy having all of your spatial dimensions laid out, (laughs) which we at this podcast happen to enjoy that. I just love the idea of that being in a guidebook, like the exact measurements of the room that you are going to go into. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, ceiling height is important to me now. Like, I expect Mm -hmm. it from all of my guidebooks now. This description is also essentially an accurate description of the pump room as it currently exists. The large grandfather clock is still there, as is the looming figure of Bo Nash watching down (laughs) over everyone. He's not going anywhere. He's got his own little plinth and a full body statue. So he's still keeping an eye on everything. Like, he's, he's watching you at the pump room. You better be following all the rules. He'll know. Like a weird, like, 18th century Santa, you know? <laughs> He's watching. Yeah. So Nash's vision for the pump room was really twofold. A place to take the waters while listening to lovely music. Those were the two important things for him. So the music gallery was an essential part of the plans. There's not only the recessed space for musicians on the main floor, but there's also a second-level musician's gallery. According to the bath guide... Here, an excellent company of musicians perform every morning during the season. A numerous assemblage of ladies and gentlemen walk up and down the room during the performance. To promenade, as it were. (laughs) The guide continues to explain that, quote, the payment of the accustomed band of ten performers in the pump room came from the subscriptions for both the upper and lower rooms. Both contributed five guineas per week to pay these musicians. Donations from patrons at the pump room also supported these musicians. And as it was kind of mentioned before, the music would essentially play as long as patrons were attending the pump room. According to Venetia Murray's book, An Elegant Madness, High Society in Regency England, quote, the first customers arrived in the pump room at eight or nine in the morning to drink their daily dose of the waters. The orchestra would already be in position and played background music throughout the day. And so in general, attendance at the pump rooms would end around 4 p.m. And lest we forget, the waters were the main event of the pump room, 
a location named for the naturally occurring warm mineral water that was pumped directly into this fancy building and a vase-shaped fountain. So it's elegant. It's very fancy, Diane. It's very, very Mm -hmm. fancy. (laughs) It might taste a little bit like rotten eggs, but it's fancy. It comes out of a really lovely fountain. You know, it's just, it's it's a whole vibe. So as a reminder, there were multiple naturally occurring thermal waters in the city of Bath. These were turned into the baths themselves, and there were also pumps available at each bath where you could also take a drink of the mineral water. However, Maggie Lane points out in her book, A Charming Place, Bath in the Life and Times of Jane Austen, quote, the pumps at the other sites were merely for drinking the waters. The pump room opening onto the Abbey Churchyard was a social meeting place as well. So we're not just drinking the waters, it's an event. The titular pump in the room is described as follows in The Improved Bath Guide, or Picture of Bath and Its Environs, which was published in 1809. Apparently not advertising any fun maps, but we'll take it. (laughs) So this is from the guide. In the center of the southern side of the room, the salutary streams issue from a marble vase and are handed warm to the company by the pumper who is stationed within a bar constructed for that purpose. Patrons were expected to tip their pumper and then drink their warm mineral water as a medicinal practice. And there's an inscription on the pump that was posted by the governors of the general hospital. And here's, here's how that reads. The hospital in this city, open to the sick poor of every part of the world, to whose cases these waters are applicable, the poor of Bath only accepted, was first established and is still supported by the charitable contributions of the liberal and humane. The parenthetical to the poor of Bath only accepted is a big parenthetical to just kind of jump over. It tells you a lot. Yeah. It tells you a lot. Definitely take that inscription with just like... With with several, several grains of salt, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's some caveats there. We've been talking so far mostly about the physical elements of the pump room, but there is so much more to say about this place since it was one of the central gathering spots for all the high society of Bath. For instance, as we discussed in our episode on the assembly rooms in Bath, one of the first orders of business for high society was to go to the pump room and sign their names and places of abode into one of the books of arrivals in the pump room. This is also how the Bath Chronicle would be able to publish their weekly arrivals column in their newspaper. This is another topic we discussed in a previous episode with Barbara Heller. Maggie Lane points out that in Northanger Abbey, the arrivals book is also important to Catherine and Isabella Thorpe on several occasions. She starts by quoting Isabella. Let us go and look at the arrivals, says Isabella in the pump room, and away they walked to the book, where Isabella busies herself examining the names inscribed therein. Later, Catherine finds out at which number in Milsom Street the Tilneys have their lodgings by consulting the same book. Places of abode presumably refers to the address in Bath rather than at home, or Catherine would have discovered when she consulted the book that the Tilneys had the great happiness to live (laughs) in an abbey. I mean... She would have noticed. She would have noticed that detail, I'm pretty sure. The sleuthing will only take you so far. You know, it's like the sleuthing is confined to Bath. But, you know, but it gets her to her end goal, right? It gets her to the Tilneys, which is all important. (laughs) We also know that in both Persuasion and Northanger Abbey, the pump room serves as a central meeting place for several characters. 
it seems that the timing of one's visit to the pump room would perhaps be in part determined by the purpose of one's visit. According to Deirdre Lynch's notes to the Oxford World's Classics edition of Persuasion, the medicinal effects of bath water were thought to be of most benefit if the water were drunk hot each morning. The visitor to bath would have to allot time in her daily schedule for attendance at the pump room, where the water was pumped directly from the springs. Lynch also points out that Catherine, Mrs. Allen, and Isabella are attending the pump room for more social purposes, and therefore arrive at the pump room more frequently around 1 p.m. Lane similarly observes that, quote, it is the constant habit in Northanger Abbey to set off for the pump room at about one o'clock. So even though the pump room is sort of like open from earlier in the morning until later in the afternoon, as people are coming and going to drink the waters, one o'clock seems to be like the fashionable time to right. sort of have a rendezvous, yes. as it were. Yeah, it's the time that fancy people will be there. They're not going for the medicinal purposes. Like that's definitely not why Catherine or Isabella are going. <laughs> Yeah, if you're there to mostly see and be seen, 1 p.m. in the afternoon is about the right time to show up. So while you're in the pump room, one can also potentially catch a glimpse of the bathers in the king's bath, which is directly next to the room. The older pump room had a more obvious look over at the bath, which led to a great deal of consternation to some of the more conservative patrons of the pump room. In the book, Valetudinarian's Bath Guide, or the means of obtaining long life and health. I think that's my favorite, actually, out of all three of them. That's really going places. I'm interested, (laughs) yes. Um, And that book was published in 1780. And there is an entire chapter dedicated to, quote, the promiscuous bathing of the sexes that could be viewed from the, the pump room. And the author writes this. I sincerely hope the time has come when we shall never see any of the female sex sprawling about under the pump room windows. (laughs) The shock, you know, the shock and horror. Um, So this female sprawling that's happening is is apparently very promiscuous. (laughs) You can't handle it. Too, Too much. The new pump room did not have as unobstructed a view of the bass, since there are only two windows on that side of the room, including the bow window that holds the eponymous pump that could directly see the baths. So maybe there are slightly fewer bruised sensibilities over (laughs) sprawling females with the new pump room. One one might hope. Let's now try and tie this idea about the pump room and kind of what it's it's doing, what it's it's being, who's going, etc. into Austin's works. So obviously the pump room is important to both Northanger Abbey and Persuasion, which I find really poetic in a few ways, since these works are also her first and last completed novels and being published simultaneously. They're also novels that span a certain revivifying effort to keep Bath new and fashionable, like we see in Northanger Abbey, as well as a certain decline in the popularity of the place, which we see in Persuasion. Austen would have started drafting Northanger Abbey shortly after the new pump rooms were opened, So we get a sense of that novelty from Catherine's perspective and her wonder at being in this metropolitan city. We also get the sense that the pump room is something of a social base camp for her and Isabella, since it is where most of their intrigue starts. There's a lot going on, really. Well, and they're so bright-eyed and just like, woohoo, it's very exciting Mm -hmm. to be in this place. 
And I think you really get a sense of that in a lot of these scenes, right, where you get you know, sleuthing out. Where's Mr. Tilney? You know, where, where are his, where's his location? And then, I mean, that's my favorite. Where has he gone? Where has he been? Where has he gone? You know, and then, and you know, then there's that whole scene where Isabel is like, there's two men looking at us. We've got to escape them. And like, like just all of these really, really delightful scenes that are happening right in the pump room. And I think even in the 2007 adaptation, they do a lot of that blocking really, really well, where you get a sense of all the possibilities that Catherine sees in the pump room. Like there's there's something exciting about that that location for her. It's a bit of like a it's a way station, you know, there's just a lot of people coming and going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In Persuasion, the pump room is also a bit of a central location, especially once the Musgroves arrive. Lane points out that, quote, the White Hart Inn at which the Musgrove party stays and where Captain Wentworth writes his letter to Anne is directly opposite the colonnade and pump room. Mary stationed at her window can watch the comings and goings at the pump room and sees Mr. Elliot meeting Mrs. Clay beneath the colonnade. So just, there's a lot happening here. <laughs> I love that Mary is like doing surveillance. That seems very Mary to me. I, it, it tracks. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, like doing surveillance, but without actually realizing what is actually going yeah, on. Yeah, the nuance is lost on her, but she's just like, oh, look, yeah. I know them. <laughs> And there's something about the centrality of the location that makes all of these references and allusions really, really come to life. Austin's own familiarity with Bath is constantly on display in these novels. You get a sense that you could actually like walk through Bath as it existed in this time because of how effective and how specific a lot of her references are. And perhaps one of the more subtle and absolutely delightful aspects of the novels is this very deep personal knowledge. You get a sense that Austen is always very precise and particular about the position she puts her characters in, and that makes this realism really jump off the page. And it might be lost on us and modern readers is the decline of Bath as a fashionable destination by the time we're reading Persuasion. Murray makes this clear in her book, An Elegant Madness, when she writes, Bath was already on the decline as a fashionable resort at the end of the 18th century. One set of critics dismissed it as old-fashioned and too staid. Another took the opposite stance and thought that the society had become indiscriminate and vulgar. The town was certainly a well-known hunting ground for adventurers and fortune hunters. And that's something that actually a lot of the books talking about Bath at this time will mention. One thing that Bath was known for is like rakish men who were looking for an heiress, basically. Oh, like straight up schemers are just like Mm -hmm. constantly in Bath. Well, and then Murray goes on to talk about how even the medicinal draw of both the baths and the mineral water are waning in popularity. There was a trend towards sea bathing rather than Roman baths at this point, and there's also a new emphasis on hygiene. Uh, Murray writes, quote, It was realized that the baths were run on such insanitary principles that they were likely to cause more problems than they solved. Drinking the water, as opposed to bathing in it, was slightly less hazardous, but even so, the glasses were often not washed between patients, and in any case, it tasted revolting. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. But, you know, I I appreciate that last bit, particularly. I have tasted the bath waters, and um, they were not good, you know? I'm just going (laughs) to say that. It did not taste great. You weren't like, ooh, bottle this up. I want to drink this all the time. No, thanks. No, thank you. So I appreciate (laughs) that Murray is willing to be that blunt, you know, just be like, it was gross. 
<laughs> yeah. In the context of persuasion, the declining popularity of Bath serves as a potentially greater commentary on Sir Walter's financial woes and social obscurity. Not obscure in his mind, where he is like, you know, <laughs> the best. No, but... he's he's an A-list celebrity in his uh-huh. head. <laughs> in Nigel Nicholson's The World of Jane Austen, he writes, Bath was losing its appeal for the eminent and well-born. There was a seepage and then a flood of middle-class people attracted by its shops, hospitals, and entertainments who could rent for a week or two furnished rooms which reminded them of home with a difference. In the 15 years that separated the writing of Northanger Abbey and Persuasion, Bath had gone down market. It was the same with the pump room. Once it had attracted the elite of Bath more for the sake of seeing and being seen than for any medicinal properties of the waters, but now it was mainly resorted to by the elderly and sick from all over the country. So, used to be high society, and now it's like very middle class. Oh, the horrors of the middle class. <laughs> so, I love the the way that Nicholson writes that too. There was a seepage and then a flood. Like at first, just like a few, you know, like, oh, okay, the occasional kind of middle class, whatever, coming into Bath. And then all of a sudden, it was just like so many of these people. <laughs> what, what is the corporation thinking? Letting all of these people in. <laughs> Oh, the corporation, how it has fallen, you know? They're really, really just letting anybody in this place now. But you can see that difference from in Northanger Abbey, where it it is all about, like, being paraded up and down in the pump room and seen and being seen and and doing all of that. And, And, like, in Persuasion, they don't really spend that much time in the pump room at all. I mean, it's only mentioned specifically by name once in Persuasion. I think that is a real indicator of where the priorities have shifted significantly. Yeah. And so you get a real sense of the fact that, like, the fact that Sir Walter is retrenching in a place that's not popular. Like, you know, Brighton would have been the actual, like, popular happening place, perhaps, during this time. Well, and you know, Sir Sir Walter, like, that chance to rub elbows with Prinny, like... Oh, yeah. He, He was, you know, if that was an option, he would have gone there. But that wasn't. Like, Bath was the option. And so the fact that it's not just Bath is a slightly less fancy place, but the pump room is less refined as well. And you really get a sense that there is that deterioration of the high society elites being able to kind of withstand maybe this up and coming middle class. Without that nuance, you don't realize how decaying the world around Sir Walter is. And it's fun to kind of think about this idea of like of, of Bath as kind of this deterioration. But at the same time, like people are, are in, in the pump room still thinking that they're very fancy, you know, trying to trying to be trying to be very posh. In the 2007 adaptation of Persuasion, there is this lovely scene where Anne has just arrived to Bath and she's kind of meeting up with Mr. Elliot. And he's having that their conversation about, you know, the best society and whatnot. But while it's happening, they're walking around the pump room and it's like, Everybody is actually kind of like milling around in almost, it's almost like on an indoor leisurely walking track. Yeah. Like it's just an indoor track and they're just like walking around in circles because I mean, like that's, that's what you do in this space. And when you kind of get this, there's this kind of like wide shot of it at the beginning of the scene and you really get a sense of like, wow, there's really no point to a lot of this. Just hamsters on a wheel kind of scenario. Well, I'm. it's sort of like when the pump room is first mentioned in Northanger Abbey, you know, when Catherine and Mrs. Allen are making their, their kind of initial rounds in Bath, the quote is, 
every morning now brought its regular duties, shops were to be visited, some new part of the town to be looked at, and the pump room to be attended, where they paraded up and down for an hour, looking at everybody and speaking to no one. It's so good because it's so accurate. (laughs) Well, if you have ever been to Bath and perhaps taken a turn about the pump room, we would love (laughs) to hear from you. Yes. You can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And as a reminder, we now have merch, which you can find at www.redbubble.com slash people slash about Austin slash shop. And stay tuned for next episode, where we will be talking about gold paper crafts. Thanks for listening.